Welcome back to Casting Call. I'm your host, Jonathan Goldstein. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Casting Call, stop and start with episode number one. Follow the rules. There are rules here at Casting Call. Even I have to follow them. All right. So as you know, we've been following along with our three finalists who have all spent months creating their very own podcast pilots. On the last episode, you heard Our Allowance from Natalie Paert, a show about money and how it relates to people of color. And before that, Deborah Jarvis with The Final Say, Conversations with People Facing Death. Next up is Anna Ladd with An Exciting Business Opportunity, a podcast that takes you inside the world of multi-level marketing. But... Before we get to Anna's pilot, I want to bring in to the Casting Call Studio, senior producer, Caitlin Baguki. Hi. Hello. You know what I like best about multi-level marketing from what you've told me? What? The acronym. MLM. Yeah? Yeah, because you could say it like this. MLM, 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 MLM. Go ahead, try it. MLM, 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 All right. So um, uh, take it away, Caitlin. All right. Thank you. Here we go. So I'm grateful that Jonathan gave me that introduction because MLMs are actually all about multiplying. You start with one seller, that person recruits two more sellers, they recruit more, and so on. These MLMs, companies like Amway, LuLaRoe, Herbalife, they offer their retailers commission on the products they sell and the products the people they recruit sell. So the appeal for these retailers is that there's no limit to growing their business and raking in that cash. Of course, it's not that easy. And that's what Anna's show is exploring. Anna is our youngest finalist. She's 24 and she just finished grad school in Boston. When she applied for Casting Call, she was living in a small suburb of Foxborough, Massachusetts, working part-time and applying for lots of full-time jobs. But when she found out that she was a casting call finalist, she had no problem quitting her part-time gig and hopping on the train to spend the summer in Brooklyn. No questions asked, no hesitation. Based on this and her entry, I just imagined her as this very confident, free-spirited person. So I was surprised to find out that that wasn't an accurate impression. Here's Anna getting ready to come into Gimlet on her first day. Today's the day. Uh... I'm calm in a very out-of-character sort of way. It's unlike me to ever be calm, let alone, like, now. When you're in your early 20s and you try to do creative things, you are very often told no. And this is not someone telling me no, so that's really cool, but also scary, because I've had to talk myself out of feeling like I'm definitely the wrong person to do this, because I don't know what I'm doing. Um... And I fear that people will say mean things about me on Twitter, but I am more excited than fearful of the internet today. So here we go. Later, I learned that this anxiety stems from more than just internet trolls. This contest means a lot to Anna. She sees this as her way to get her foot in the door of podcasting, to maybe make a name for herself and possibly start her career. But she's not making this easy. She wants to make this show that's very ambitious. And to do it right, she has to go in deep and investigate these companies. And she wants to do this fairly. She doesn't want to just dish the dirt. 
in part because what's already been written about these companies online is less than flattering. She wants to paint a full picture, and that's a tall order. So Anna was nervous on her first day at Gimlet. Here she is on her walk to the office. I have a lot of just very inconsequential concerns right now. Like, I wore a hat. Is that weird? Is that too casual? And then she arrived at Gimlet, still wearing her hat, and it wasn't weird. Hello. Hi, Anna. Welcome to Gimlet. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to meet you. Once she settled in, Anna and I got to work, calling up current and former MLM reps. We were trying to find a way in, but almost immediately we started running into these roadblocks. We had zeroed in on a few different companies, figuring that we could just choose whichever seemed best. But we were getting stonewalled by everyone. Here I am, talking with our editor, Devin. So tell me what's going on. I can't get anyone to talk to me. It's just... MLM reps share a lot about their lives on social media. And I've seen so many profiles of top sellers who seem to be doing really well. Like they've got all these lifestyle shots, they're traveling, they have expensive things. And if that's the case, if they are doing as great as they advertise, like why? Why wouldn't you want to talk about it? Yeah. I think it's easy to tell the negative side of this. And I think it would be really nice is to tell the positive side, but we need access to do that. Right. And none of these people are going to go rogue on on their no. the corporate boss. No, yeah. no, no. Ooh. And here's the thing. Every single MLM rep has a signed agreement that they won't speak to the media without permission from corporate. Anna wanted to go inside these companies, but no one was letting us in. Our attorney said under no circumstances could we talk to the current reps without the company's permission. I wanted to stay positive and find a solution, but I really was starting to have doubts. And after days and days of these production woes, I finally shared my doubts with Anna. Basically, I told her that the podcast we're trying to make may not be possible. And as you can imagine, she didn't take it well. Here she is in a voice memo she sent to me when she got home from work that day. When you're in Boston and you cry in your walk home, you get all these people who glare at you and they're like, ew, you're not even pursuing your doctorate. Like, why would you cry in public? But if you cry in public in New York, no one even notices. Um, And I have learned this week at Gimlet Media that when you cry in your walk home, that's good tape. So here we are. And it just makes me very angry that now we're to like potential lawsuits deep and I've only been here for a week and that means that I'm like fucking up the only like real opportunity to do this thing that I think is really good and important and it was like I need a job (laughs) and this was like maybe gonna be my job And I worry that I pitched something that is impossible, and now it will never be my job. Um, And then I'm going to work at a cafe until I die. So that's where I'm at right now. Anna sent that voice memo to me moments after she stopped crying. And it made sense that she'd react that way. I felt bad that she was upset. But 
I was also impressed. She kept the recorder rolling, even though she was crying, and she got the tape. So she's determined, and I was determined to help her find a way through. So the next day, I sat down with her and Devin to talk about morale. Hey, Anna. How are you? I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the best I've ever been, but I'm certainly not the worst. Yeah, I don't think you should take what happened to personally. I got a little uh, ahead of myself in hope with LuLaRoe, I think. Don't fall in love with an MLM. I yeah, I have concerns about like the long term even possibility of it being a show. Yeah. yeah. I was worried that no one in their right mind would pick up a show where every episode is a potential lawsuit. I mean, it's going to be a conversation for yeah. sure. Um but it's you know, it's just like you can't do good stories without pushing into sometimes uncomfortable or even legally dicey territory. And that shouldn't be a thing that, like, stops us from pursuing them. If we were going to pursue this story, we're going to have to do it without the participation of the company. We settled on one called LuLaRoe. They make leggings and other comfy clothes. And we began searching for former reps who'd be willing to talk to us on the record. People who wouldn't mind if we had permission from corporate or not. Anna took the lead on finding these people. This is where her digital detective skills came in. She spent entire days scouring Instagram, Facebook, and the blogosphere. She was on a mission. And finally, we found someone. After weeks of dead ends, Anna sat down for an interview with a former rep named Roberta. Hello? Hello. Hey. All right, we'll start with your your name and what you do. Uh, Well, my name is Roberta. How did you think that went? Great. She she gave us, like, good goofy moments, but also a lot of, like, very genuine. She was really hurt by this thing, and I think that's a good balance of the two things that I wanted to have the show have. I love Roberta, and I think other people will like her, too. It's nice to actually hear from someone after getting nothing. A real person. Yeah. Who wants to talk. I feel very relieved. It's hard, though. It's hard getting so many no's. But we got one yes. And it's a good yes. It was a good yes. And we were just getting started. After that, it felt like things came together. People returned our calls. We booked actual interviews. And we got to make a show. Here's Anna after her final edit. I'm having a good time now. The show feels real. I feel really good about it and I like it. Go team. Like, what do you picture for the show? Do you see, like, the future of it? I have about 10 episodes written down that I want to make. Yeah. Oh, I've sketched out a season beyond the miniseries. Because <laughs> the more we make it, the more I'm like, I want to listen to this podcast. And hopefully you want to listen to this podcast, too. After the break, we hear an exciting business opportunity. Don't go anywhere. Hello, welcome to my ad break. It is me, Anna Ladd, host of The Pilot, an exciting business opportunity. Before Casting Call, I started my own podcast called OK But Who Cares. My podcast doesn't have any advertisers for reasons unknown to me, but it's not for a lack of trying. Every episode, I beg for ads. As always, 
actively seeking sponsored content. I love money. This episode is brought to you by my lifelong fear of childbirth. It doesn't pay the bills like a real sponsorship would, but it's saving me a lot of money in the long run. Hopefully by the time I post this, I will not be unemployed anymore, but I won't say no to ad money. I'm so excited to finally present my first ad. This episode of Casting Call is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful website. To build your next website in minutes, head over to squarespace.com slash castingcall for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code castingcall to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash castingcall, promo code castingcall for 10% off your website or domain. And now, an exciting business opportunity. The day after I graduated college, I woke up to start the job that every chronic overachiever with an art degree dreams of, walking dogs. My phone buzzed with rejection emails all summer. Sorry, but you're not the right fit for the position at this time. We've decided to move forward with another candidate. Turns out there's a lot of time for existential dread when you walk 15 miles a day and occasionally bend down to pick up a pile of shit. 200 job applications later, no one was biting. Thankfully, neither were the dogs. I spent a lot of time Googling questions like, is postgrad depression a thing? And am I going to be underemployed until I die? What do you do when you're not where you want to be? You can go to grad school. I did that. You can quit your job to enter a podcast competition. I also did that. There was another option I passed up, though. One I would see posted on job boards that promised quick money from home. The chance to make your own hours and be your own boss. I didn't answer the ad. But... Thousands of people do every year. Ads to sell for multi-level marketing companies. My name is Anna Latt, and this is an exciting business opportunity. While I try to get one foot in the metaphorical door, others have one foot out. They're questioning the career they picked 20 years prior, or family demands are pulling them from work. Roberta Blevins was one of those people. She's a hairstylist from San Diego who for years commuted to L.A. to see her clients. That's already a pretty long and miserable commute if you're not a newlywed with a small child. But Roberta was a newlywed with a small child, and her priorities had shifted towards her family. It was really, really hard the first couple years of my daughter's life doing that, and I was very vulnerable and just at a time where, like, family is very important, I said, you know what, I need to find something that I can supplement my income, keep myself at home a little bit more. This was in 2015. If you spent any time on Facebook that year, you may have seen a couple people, perhaps some you went to high school with, posting about a company called LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe was everywhere. They made patterned leggings that people sold as independent retailers. And it wasn't just the people hawking these leggings that were obsessed with it. Customers were also obsessed. People would stay up late to catch a live sale so they could hunt down the perfect pair of pizza leggings to add to their Lula stash. And retailers appeared to be making a lot of money selling these clothes. It wasn't just the money that was pulling these retailers in. It was the Lula lifestyle. The company came with a built-in group of new best friends, and retailers said they were earning full-time income for part-time work. 
This is exactly what Roberta Blevins was looking for, a job that would keep her closer to her family. But the multi-level marketing thing was a red flag for her. The year before, she'd gone to an event at a wine bar where most of the vendors were MLM consultants. And they didn't give her a good impression of the industry. I sort of went around to each booth because I'm the kind of person that likes to talk to people. And I'm like, hi, I'm Roberta. What are you selling? And I kind of like signed up for everybody's giveaway just to be supportive because that's the kind of person I was. And then for like months, I was just harassed. Oh, hey, girl, we met at that vendor event. Do you want to book a pop-up? Do you want to book a party? Do you want to have an online party? Do you want to buy my stuff? Do you want to join my team? And I was just like, oh my gosh, no thank you, no thank you. And very, very quickly I realized, yeah, this is not anything I want to be involved in. Um, And that to me was like, yeah, MLMs aren't my bag at all. But LuLaRoe seemed different from the typical MLM. In practice, it works like one. Retailers make money based on what they sell, and they can also recruit more sellers and earn commissions on their sales, and the sales of the people that their recruits recruit, and so on and so on. These companies get a bad rap as pyramid schemes and scams. But from the outside looking in, LuLaRoe looked like a legitimate business. People were making money, and the retailers didn't act like typical pushy MLM sales reps. I started doing some research because I was interested I searched, is LuLaRoe a scam? Is LuLaRoe a pyramid scheme? LuLaRoe bad? LuLaRoe, like, you know, just like the stuff if you're looking for bad stuff on, on Google. And I couldn't find anything. Roberta also just loved the clothes. The leggings had gained a cult following among new moms who described them as buttery soft and comfortable to wear when you're wrangling toddlers all day. Roberta was introduced to the brand when a friend from a mom group started posting her LuLaRoe outfits on Facebook. She was hitting on all of these, like, buzzwords that I felt about myself, too. Like, oh, I want to hide my mommy pooch. Oh, I want to wear stretchy pants. Those are way more comfortable than jeans. Um, And they're really cute. After a couple months digging around the internet for information and buying some leggings for herself, Roberta decided she wanted to take the plunge and sell LuLaRoe. But getting in was expensive. The startup cost was huge for an MLM, around $5,000 at the time. Where Roberta saw a way to help support her family without making the trek to LA, her husband saw a garage filled with piles of unsellable polyester stretch pants. He was like, no, you're not joining that. And I was like, yes, I am. Um, And in the back of my head, I was like, I will convince you. It wasn't just about the money for her. Roberta had started to get to know the LuLaRoe community, and they had been encouraging her, telling her how they thought she'd make a great retailer. Like, I really honestly thought that these people really saw potential in me and were like, we need you. You're amazing. Um, I felt like they saw the potential in me that I saw that I felt like sometimes my husband didn't see. Month by month, Roberta showed her husband all the evidence— Ravenous customer demand, sold-out sales, even the bank statements of the woman who would eventually become her upline. Upline is MLM speak for the person who recruits you and gets a commission based on your sales. Despite him saying no so many times, I just remember we were laying in bed one night, and I sort of let out this exasperated, like, defeated sigh. And I was like, and he's just like, what? And I was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And he's like, you really want to sell those leggings, don't you? And I said, yeah, I really think I can. I really think that I could be successful at this. 
And he says, well, if it's something you really feel that confident in, then I guess do it. But this is you. This is your thing. And you're responsible for what happens and you're responsible for what goes down. And I was like, okay. By the time Roberta's inventory arrived, people were already lining up for her leggings. I was trying things on for people and like FaceTiming them. And it was this really, really amazingly exhilarating time because everybody on my team was saying, oh, wait till you get your initial inventory. You're going to start making money so fast. Like people just want this stuff. Like it's just, it's like clothing crack. Like it really, really was. And I couldn't even keep it on the racks. Retailers would host live sales where they held up leggings one by one and invoice the first person who claimed them. Piano leggings, snowman leggings, airplane leggings. According to LuLaRoe, they had so much demand for new prints that they were designing hundreds of new patterns every day. Customers would fight for their unicorns, that's the LuLaRoe term for a coveted print, before they disappeared forever. It was like Christmas. Every, every time it was like Christmas. Those unicorn hunters helped Roberta sell a lot of leggings, eight to 10 grand a month's worth, plus her monthly bonus checks, which could be upwards of $6,000. Roberta felt like an overnight success. My upline was like, you're a rock star. Um, You have really great influence. People like you. You're likable and relatable. Like, we're gonna we're gonna build you. Like, you're a really valuable asset. I was like, awesome. To me, I'm like, dude, like, they love me, like, I clearly have value. I clearly have, you know, something that they want out of me. And so I was really proud. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I had value. Roberta was devoting more and more time to LuLaRoe, and she loved all of it. Making outfits, taking pictures, hosting sales, and training her team. She loved helping women of all sizes feel beautiful with every new inventory investment. I don't know, like you you become a mom and you feel like now I'm a mom. I don't get to wear fun things. And then LuLaRoe comes out and they have all these fun leggings and you're like, I can wear lollipops on my leggings. Like we, we would have people that were like, my son is having a truck birthday. And I'm like, I got leggings with trucks on them. Across the country in Pittsburgh, PhD student Ellen Eckert was about to get in on the craze. She won her first pair of LuLaRoe leggings in a Halloween giveaway. They were, like, really bright blue background with orange pumpkins on them. And just to pause for a second, yes, I know Ellen and Roberta have very similar voices. We're going to get through that together with some heavy-handed narration and a positive attitude. Stay with me. Okay, that first pair was all it took for Ellen. Less than two weeks later, she was signed on to be a retailer. Like Roberta, she's a mom, and LuLaRoe was offering her something more than just leggings. I think at that time in my life, I was uh, a first-time mom. I had a two-year-old developmentally delayed son, and I just, I didn't have any mom friends, and the majority of consultants that I was uh, interacting with were moms, and it just kind of felt like something that I thought I needed at that time in my life. So by the time Ellen signed up for LuLaRoe, there were around 40,000 retailers, and LuLaRoe had set up a waiting list for new consultants to join. 
While Ellen was in line waiting for Lula Road to call, Roberta was thriving in the company. She was being recognized for building a team and moving up in the ranks. She was also getting closer and closer with her team. They talked endlessly on Facebook, offering business tips and life advice to each other. Her life was a Lula life, so much that she missed warning signs that she might be in too deep. Roberta remembers going on a LuLaRoe-sponsored cruise and congratulating another retailer on her weight loss. I went up to my friend and I said, you look amazing. What have you been doing? And she's like, oh, I had gastric sleeve. And she pulled another girl over. She's like, hey, tell Roberta all about your gastric sleeve. And I'm like, well, you know, they were telling me about their diet and what they can and can't eat and how the surgery was so easy and like how their life has been so much better. And it felt like a sales pitch. Roberta didn't get gastric sleeve surgery, but it seemed like a lot of other retailers were, which was weird. But instead of dwelling on it, she focused on what she loved, selling the clothes and spending time with her team at LuLaRoe events, like Inspire Tours. And the Inspire Tours were basically a traveling one-day, like, pep rally convention of rah-rah, sisterhood, let's play uh, rock, paper, scissors, and, you know, go live and book book pop-ups all day. At one of these tours, Roberta approached some higher-ups in the company to ask for advice about her husband, who wasn't totally on board with this business that had taken over his wife's life. According to Roberta, instead of giving advice, one of these people made an offhanded remark. Maybe you should just get a new husband. Well, I was so deep at that moment that when she said find a new husband, there was a little part in my brain that's like, that might be easier, actually. But the thing about LuLaRoe, at least according to LuLaRoe, was that it was a family business. Their motto is blessing lives and strengthening families. But strengthening families meant building dedicated Lula families. They didn't just want wives selling leggings. They wanted their husbands in on the business too. This practice, recruiting husbands as retailers, was known as retiring your husband. And it was something Roberta heard a lot. It's like, you gotta retire your husband. You gotta retire your husband. Make sure you're working hard so you can retire your husband. And when you retire your husband, then he can come work for you and you can work your business together and you can be stronger in business and stronger in your faith and stronger in your marriage and blah, 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 blah. Back to Ellen in Pennsylvania. Now she was just getting started in her Lula career. After weeks of sitting on the waitlist, she was finally a bona fide LuLaRoe retailer and off to a great start. In her very first month, she sold about $12,000 of inventory. I just couldn't stop watching. Like, sold, 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 sold. I mean, I was packing stuff up. I was setting stuff aside that had sold. It was just like insanity. Like, I was like, oh my God, this is why I did this. Like, the money, money, money. Like, every item that sold, I was just like, okay, that's $30 profit. She was a natural, too. For Ellen, selling appealed to her outgoing, friendly nature. Early on, I had heard a quote, like, you're not just selling the clothes, you're selling yourself. So I was like, okay, like, I'm not shy, I'm personable, I'll, you know, go interact with strangers on the internet, sure. A few months into selling, Ellen wanted to switch uplines. This isn't allowed in LuLaRoe, so her would-be new upline hatched a plan. We need to get your husband in the queue And then you will just run the business under your husband's name. And like she came at me and I was like, all right, let me talk to my husband about it. So like I go to him and he was initially like very wary. Like 
he wasn't super into it, but I was like, I feel like I can trust them. Like, so eventually we, you know, talked, my husband and I talked it out and we decided to get on board. By the time Ellen's husband, Michael, got on the wait list, LuLaRoe was exploding. The number of retailers had nearly doubled since Ellen signed up a few months before. But as sales skyrocketed, retailers started noticing some quality problems with the clothes. Back to Roberta, she was one of those retailers. Roberta would receive shipments of clothes with holes in them or packages of leggings that were soaking wet. Her upline just told her to hang them out to dry. Nothing to see here. But one day, she received a batch of leggings that she definitely couldn't sell. I open up this tub that had been, like, sealed. And it's like, whoosh, right in my face. I'm like, dang, okay, something in this tub is what stinks. So I go through all the leggings. I'm opening them up. I'm sniffing them. I mean, like, full. (laughs) It's like the full, like, mom butt sniff when you're like, someone stinks. Whose butt is it? And you're, like, sniffing your kid's butt. Like, I was, the leggings were, like, up in my face. And I'm like, Nope, those ones are fine. And then I get to these like dark red, coral, orangey red leggings. And I take a big old whiff and then I gag and I throw them across the room. I was like, whoa. It smells like um, poop in a bathing suit. If you have children in the summer, you know what I'm talking about. Like it is, it smelled like dead rats had a party and invited more dead rats. And then they all pooped in a bathing suit. Roberta had trouble getting LuLaRoe customer service to credit her account for the stinky leggings. She went back and forth with them for months while they closed her tickets unresolved. And if others were experiencing the same problems, there was no way to know. While Roberta and other LuLaRoe retailers posted constantly in their private Facebook group, complaints were strictly off limits. Even a simple question, hey, did anyone else get leggings that smell like a dead rat party, would have been deleted by her upline. They would say something like, That sounded really negative, and we don't talk negatively about LuLaRoe in our team pages. Outside of the LuLaRoe positivity bubble, customers were starting to notice the quality issues, and the complaints were getting back to the company. LuLaRoe tried to address them with a new return policy. The company announced it on its weekly call with all the consultants. Ellen, whose husband was nearing the top of the wait list, was at a LuLaRoe business training in Pennsylvania with hundreds of other retailers when the news came through. There's this announcement that now LuLaRoe announces a new return policy and consultants will return or refund customers for any kind of problem they've ever had with any piece of clothing. And it was just like, what? Like, I mean, the the rules were very vague and unclear. And I just remember looking around this room, this convention center, and it just looked like all hell had broken loose. Like women are like, some are like crying. People are like calling. Like it just looks like people are like, what just happened? This new policy was ironically called the happiness policy. Customers who were unhappy with their purchase at any time in the first 90 days could contact any retailer for a credit or an exchange. Not just the person they purchased from, but any retailer. Under the happiness policy, LuLaRoe didn't need to deal with the holes at all. The retailers were the new customer service department. After the bombshell announcement, LuLaRoe management tried to get the event back on track. These two 
very unprofessional, very poorly skilled public speakers get up and try to give some kind of motivational hoorah. When she looked around the room, half of the retailers still crying, the other half getting caught up in the faux positivity, a few things started to come into focus for Ellen. One of them involved an interaction she had just that morning. She'd been in the bathroom at the convention center when another retailer walked in. And a girl comes up and washes her hands with me, and I talk to everyone. So I'm sure I complimented some random part of her outfit. Whatever I complimented, she, like, took it with this, like, hmm, thanks. Looks like you didn't put on enough or something. And I was like, what? Like, I did. I was like, she's talking about the lip gloss and reapplying. Like, I, I couldn't understand it. And she was like, they really like when we wear at least three LuLaRoe pieces. They. They really like it when we wear three pieces. She only had on two. Sitting in her seat, Ellen started to feel sick. I'd been selling this clothes for four months, and I'd been having strangers from all over the country post pictures of themselves wearing LuLaRoe in my group. So I obviously knew what this clothing was and what it looked like. But when I walked in to a convention center of hundreds of women dressed head to toe in LuLaRoe, I was appalled. Like, I was like, this looks horrible. I stood up and I was like, Michael, we're out. I got dirty looks as I walked out. I just was like, this is insane. In the car on the way home, Ellen made a call. I was like, hey, mom. She's like, what's up? And I was like, mom, oh my God, I think I joined a cult. She like kind of laughed. She's like, what? And I was like, Lula Rose a cult. Like, I, it just hit me. I, why did no one tell me? Like, you know, and then it just, that was, that was it. Once I said it out loud, I mean, there was no going back. Ellen quit LuLaRoe that day. There would be no new upline. Meanwhile, back in San Diego, Roberta was about to have her own awakening. That spring, LuLaRoe implemented a 100% buyback policy, promising that the company would refund retailers for all their inventory if they sent it back. They hoped this would de-risk the opportunity and encourage more people to sign up, but it had the opposite effect. Retailers took advantage of the policy and left in droves, sending back thousands of dollars worth of clothes. Roberta, who had been with the company for about a year, lost nearly half her 75-person team during the buyback. And it was around this time that Roberta started to hear rumors about legal problems in LuLaRoe. I heard a little bit of chatter here and there about the class action lawsuits. Um, I was told when I asked about them, you know, just ignore it, ignore the negativity. It's just haters. It's just failures. It's just people who didn't know what they were doing. But with so many people leaving LuLaRoe, Roberta was curious. So when her upline asked her to look into a blog that was apparently publishing negative things about the company... Roberta didn't hesitate to peek behind the curtain. So I go and I look and, and it just it looked like someone had started a blog and were was writing negative things about LuLaRoe on the blog. And I was like, ooh, I started reading these stories and I was like, are these stories true? Because if they're true, like, holy crap. But if they're not, like, why is this girl making things up? And I think that was the first time that I was like, okay, like something is going on. 
And so I was told like, okay, well now that you've like looked at her blog, like don't ever look at it again because like we need to stay away from the negativity. I was like, okay, whatever. So um, I checked it every day. Roberta went rogue. She started with the blog, but then found her way to other sites, eventually landing in the private Facebook group, LuLaRoe Defective. Thousands of former retailers and customers had gathered there to talk about the company. What she found out was, well, shocking. Turns out the legal issues weren't just a rumor. There were lawsuits over defective product, including a claim that LuLaRoe was selling leggings with holes in them. But there were also more serious lawsuits. One alleged that LuLaRoe improperly collected $8.3 million in sales tax. According to the suit, the company's software charged tax based on where sellers were located, not buyers. But the lawsuit that shook Roberta up the most had to do with the prints on the leggings that she sold. Remember all the new patterns that LuLaRoe was designing on a daily basis to meet the customer demand? According to multiple lawsuits filed by artists, some of these prints were stolen from them without their permission and without compensation. And when I started realizing that the leggings, the, the puzzle piece leggings, the octopus, the donuts, the, the hipster lions, all of these prints that people were fighting over were all stolen. Every single one of them was stolen. You go and you look at these folders they have of all of these stolen prints, and I'm just like, wow, like LuLaRoe just took these, like clip art. Like they just take them. Like there's some mom trying to make an invitation for their kid's Avengers birthday party. Like just, okay, we're just going to take that. We're just going to slap it on some leggings, and we're just going to sell them and make a ton of money. And no one will probably ever figure it out, except they were leaving the watermarks from the prints and the signatures of the artists on the leggings. For days, Roberta couldn't stop reading about LuLaRoe. She found out that her issues with her inventory weren't just isolated incidents. Other women claimed to have received old inventory that was returned during the buyback, as well as stinky leggings. There were photographs that purported to show inventory being stored for months outside of the LuLaRoe warehouse, which people speculated was what was behind the smell. There were other things that hit close to home for Roberta. She saw reports from retailers in leadership roles that LuLaRoe approached them about traveling to Tijuana for weight loss surgery, specifically gastric sleeve. According to those retailers, some of the women in the group had the surgery done or had been pressured to by the company. I felt like this isn't real. Like LuLaRoe's full of crap. And I spent like the next week just crying my eyes out for like a week. I just... I would get up and I would look at that page and I would read the comments of these women who were struggling, women who were going through divorce, women who were claiming bankruptcy, women who were struggling to pay the rent, struggling so bad. And like, I decided, I was like, you know, LuLaRoe and I do not have the same set of values anymore. Later, there would be more lawsuits, including a class action from former retailers, which alleged that LuLaRoe is a pyramid scheme. Until the company changed its compensation plan in 2017, it probably didn't meet the FTC standards for a legal, multi-level marketing operation. But by the time that lawsuit was filed, Roberta had already closed up shop. By then, LuLaRoe had also ended its 100% buyback policy. 
They did this without warning, and it led to, surprise, another lawsuit. Roberta, along with thousands of other retailers, was stuck with her inventory. Those who got out early enough, like Ellen, were able to get rid of their clothes in a deeply discounted goob sale. Goob is going out of business. At the time that I started going out of business, I had 870 pieces left in my inventory. And it was all gone by May 11th. So wait, so April 28th to May 11th, I sold 870 pieces of clothing. Like I did not stop until it was all gone. I was, oh, it was just like so, it was such a bizarre range of emotions. Like gratifying like oh my god get this out of my house I don't even want to see it like but also like I missed it eventually it was all gone all 870 pieces and the dust settled on Ellen's five-month career with LuLaRoe I just remember sitting in my empty basement room which had been a guest room and now it was the LuLaRoe room with rack empty racks and thousands of hangers And I just was like, what the hell just happened? And for all the hassle, it's hard for Ellen to say it was worth it. So at five months of about 30 hours per week, my profit broke down to $12.83 an hour. And I just can't help but to think of this stupid promotional thing that came with my onboarding package. Uh, Full-time income for part-time work. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. For Roberta, the loss was more than just money. I lost friends. Um, I lost myself. I almost lost my husband. I almost lost my family. Um, I was so blind to everything. I was so unbelievably blind. And I let myself be influenced and manipulated by the wrong people. And um, my husband, who is my best friend in the entire world, he could have told me, you know, like, if you pick LuLaRoe, I'll divorce you. And I still would have picked LuLaRoe because it was so brainwashed. Looking back, it's hard for Roberta to make sense of it. All of that for leggings. But LuLaRoe wasn't just about the leggings. The company spoke to that desire to follow a dream in a world that forces us to be practical. We all want to be somebody that does something. And LuLaRoe dangled that dream in front of its retailers, as long as they stayed quiet and kept buying clothes. I don't know if it's um, if it's this constant need for approval from someone or if it's, you know, deep-rooted insecurities about themselves that they've had forever that come to the surface and this wolf in sheep's clothing is like, let me offer you what you've always wanted. That's the feeling that you get when you're in because you want you want to be important. And I mean, I know a lot of companies use trinkets and things to encourage you. I mean, even the Girl Scouts have their patches. 
Instead, thousands of people were left with a garage filled with unsellable leggings, someone's unicorn that was never found, someone's unicorn that's filled with holes, or covered in the signature of an artist who settled out of court. LuLaRoe is still operating, but on a much smaller scale. It's estimated that half of its retailers have quit in the last year. We contacted LuLaRoe to get their version of events, but they've declined to comment. Every box of inventory, every sale, every company-sponsored cruise, every Facebook message from a high school acquaintance who wants to sell you vitamins is loaded with the promise of empowerment and freedom. Two words that carry a lot of weight, but don't really come with a finish line. But we hunt for them like unicorns in a Facebook Live sale, with some sense of certainty that this thing, or the next thing, will finally be the answer. An Exciting Business Opportunity is produced by me, Anna Ladd, with help from Max Gibson, Jorge Estrada, and Julia Botero. Our senior producer is the spooky Caitlin Bakuki. Our editor is Devin Taylor. This episode was mixed by Katherine Anderson and Peter Leonard. Special thanks to Portia Putney and Claire Suddeth. Claire reported an incredible story about LuLaRoe for Bloomberg Business Week, and we've linked to it in the show notes. You can and should follow me on Twitter at Ladd to the Bone and on Instagram at BreakingLad. There's hundreds of multi-level marketing companies out there and we want to meet them all and maybe send me on a path to an early retirement. So please vote for my pilot by visiting castingcallshow.com. I want to win. I'm very desperate. Thank you.